0: Welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. Just to remind you, the conference call is being recorded. Today, I am pleased to present Gavin Ralston and Keith Wade. Gentlemen, Please again. Thank you very much, and welcome from me, Gavin Ralston, to this week's call and podcast, and welcome back to Keith, one of our most faithful contributors. <laughs> our, our regular listeners, in fact, will remember that uh, Claire Walsh spoke to Keith, Keith only a couple of weeks ago, but it's an indication of the pace at which events in the world economy are moving and the level of uncertainty that we've asked them back. Uh, in global markets, as well as economies, a month has made a huge difference. At the end of December, we were marking the worst month for some time for returns on risk assets. And now we're looking back in January as one of the best months. In fact, it was the best month for global equity since March 2016. And we've now seen a 16% rise in U.S. equities since the low point on December the 26th and accompanying that um, high yield and emerging markets debt have given good returns as well. The VIX index, which we tend to talk about only when it is going up, has slipped back below 16. I was in South Africa last week, and the South African currency, the RAND, is a great benchmark of global risk appetite, given that as a combination of emerging market status and exposure to commodities, and the RAND is duly up 7% against the dollar since the end of December. But the fundamentals behind all this are not pointing in the same direction. We'll, we'll talk in a moment about the Fed ticking markets by surprise last week when the announced interest rates may have risen far enough for the moment. It was only six weeks ago at the December Fed meeting that Jay Powell was talking about the need for further rate increases in 2019. But there's actually little sign that U.S. growth is slowing. The employment data for January, which came out last Friday, was stronger than expected, and wage inflation remains at 3.2%. At the same time, the earnings season in the U.S. was mixed, and the momentum from tax cuts that helped so much in 2018 is falling away. Uh, The growth slowdown, however, is very pronounced in the rest of the world, notably China and the Eurozone, and we'll talk about both of those. But Keith, uh, turning to the Fed's uh, announcement last week, what in your mind lies behind the Fed's fairly abrupt change of policy?
1: Well, it it was quite a shift, as as you said, because in December, it looks as though the Fed was really set for further increases in interest rates throughout this year. It was a continuation of what they did last year. So now they've indicated this pause in the cycle, and they said they're going to be patient in adjusting adjusting the Fed funds rate going forward. That's that's quite a change. They've also actually said that they would alter the pace of balance sheet adjustment if if that was warranted by the economy. So that's that's quite a big U-turn. Um, I mean this- And just to be clear, altering the pace of the
0: balance sheet adjustment means reducing the rate at which they're selling off the securities
1: they own? That's right. So the maturity, the, the securities are gradually maturing and, and what they're doing at the moment is they're just letting them roll off. But they could adjust that process and they could say, well, actually we won't let some of those roll off and we'll keep the balance sheet mm-hmm. a little bit larger than perhaps we, we, were, we were planning to... But originally, of course, that was meant to all be on an autopilot and happening in the background with no reference to what was happening in the economy. Um uh, yes, they've got they've had quite a bit of criticism because it looks a little bit like they're caving into Trump. Um but the key factor here has been slower US growth. Um global trade has weakened pretty sharply and uh CapEx has also been softer. Now, the rest of the world has probably been affected more than the US, but certainly the US has been affected. The U.S. also seems to have been affected by the slowdown to some extent. There are seasonal factors that tend to weigh on growth in the U.S. Um, so the economy does look as though it's lost quite a bit of momentum. On top of that as well, um, we did see a tightening of financial conditions uh, at the end of last year um, with the fall off in equity markets. Of course, that is now reversing somewhat. But again, that was another factor. And The dollar, of course, has been very strong. So combination of financial conditions, slower growth at home and abroad, I think Really, what is what lies behind uh, the Fed becoming more patient? Um, I think those are the key factors. I think the other thing to say is that the, what's enabled them to do this, of course, though, is that inflation and inflation expectations have been pretty, pretty well contained. So it isn't as if they're kind of going to be losing credibility um, by making this move. They can actually afford to be patient. And Looking ahead,
0: uh, you're still forecasting that there will be one increase in fed funds rate in the middle of the year What why is that given the, the slowdown you've just
1: been talking about so, you know We do expect some kind of kind of rebound in growth um, The consumer I think is is still relatively healthy and a lot of the slowdown has been on the trade and the industrial side but a lot of adjustments at the same time is taking place underlying that at the moment and uh, I think we will actually see quite a a rebound in the economy in Q2. Again, part of that is seasonal. It's a pattern that we've seen in the past. But if the consumer is holding up reasonably well, then I think that that will come through. And that means that the Fed will be able to see a stronger economy. I think they'll be able to say, well, actually, you know, in terms of history, interest rates are still relatively low. We will just do one more rate rise. I mean, I think that will be it for this cycle because thereafter, We'll probably see more signs of, of a slower economy as fiscal policy stimulus begins to fade. So we,
0: we should be expecting uh, any data that comes out in respect to the next two months, the, the rest of the first quarter, to be pretty weak. But then signs of a pick up, a recovery in
1: confidence from April. Onwards. That's right, and I think that weakness is going to be concentrated on the manufacturing side and on the trade data and the CapEx. Those are the areas that you will see the weakness. I I wouldn't be that surprised if the consumer holds up reasonably well because we've had a a fall in oil prices, a fall in inflation, Uh, you mentioned the growth in earnings, that's outpacing inflation, so I think the consumer will hold up, but some of the indicators on uh, trade are looking very weak at the moment.
0: And does the Fed still persist in increasing rates again, even if the growth slowdown we talked about in the rest of the world remains as pronounced as it is now.
1: Well, it's possible. I mean, the thing to remember though is that you know the the U.S. economy is not that open. I mean, it's, the U.S. of course is a big trading economy because it's so big, but as an exposure to GDP, um, the external sector, sort of take exports or imports, is around about twelve or thirteen percent in total. So, you know, it's it's not enough to to be the only reason for. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so that's the outlook for interest rates. Mm-hmm. The other factor that's obviously really important for the equity market is earnings forecasts and yep. earnings expectations. The, I said before that the results announced in January have been mixed, mm-hmm. some good, some bad, but very much less good than the momentum we saw in 2018. Uh, the consensus is actually now for a small decline in mm-hmm. earnings in the first
1: quarter. Mm-hmm. Do you think earnings will build positive momentum later in the year? I think they can. Um, That would be consistent with seeing some improvement and bottoming out in, in economic activity.
0: And I think that will
1: depend on things like, for example, the trade talks producing some sort of deal in March and not seeing another round of tariffs being implemented. I think it may well depend also on a bit of stability coming through in China as well for the global backdrop. When we look at the the breakdown of that weakness of of earnings expectations, um, the energy sector is playing quite a big role in that. Um, again, reflecting that fall off in oil prices. So, so some sort of stability in oil prices and commodity prices would also be be quite important. Um, that we haven't really seen that coming through. Um, the other area that would probably help a little bit as well is probably on the tech sector. So. You know, it's been some of the forward guidance from the tech sector that's been affecting um, these forward expectations. So we've seen some downgrades there as well, and that's been another reason why we've got that weakness. Um, but I think a combination of of a turn in the cycle, plus the fact that once the bad news is out, then the market has a better base to go forward. So. You know, in some ways, we're getting the negative news out of the way at the moment, and we look quite closely at the change in earnings revisions. And once they begin to stabilise, even if the earnings are still not that great going forward, that actually might be enough to provide markets with a bit of support. Mm.
0: So let's move on from the US to the rest of the world, and in particular Europe. The, The European Central Bank must have been as surprised by the Fed's action last week as markets were. What are the implications for the ECB?
1: well um a, a more cautious fed i think means that other central banks are going to be more cautious as well because you know the um us is still an important driver of global growth and clearly all the central banks are watching what each other are doing and if the us is getting more cautious that would tend to be you know the direction that those other central banks would be going in and i think bond markets are kind of reflecting that <coughs> having said that um it's quite difficult to see how some of those other central banks could get any more cautious than they already are in terms of the setting of policy. So so in some respects, this is not coming at a good time for the ECB because, you know, they still want to normalise interest rates. Now, um, it it has been our view for some time that they've really left this very late in the day. Um, And it seems to us that if they don't actually manage to increase interest rates much this year or in the early part of next year, the window of opportunity might be closing. So, you know, in, in some ways they, they will be surprised by this, but I think it might be a cue for them to think, well, you know, will we be able to get interest rates up? Should we be moving a little bit more quickly to normalise interest rates in response to doing that? Um, so far, no real sign of any great change there, but I think there is a risk that they could begin to get stuck if this scenario continues to play out as we expand. But in, in one
0: sense, it's, it's crazy for the ECB to be considering raising rates at all because all the data
1: remains very weak across the Eurozone with the possible exception of Spain. Well, that's true. I mean, I think, you know, this is um, something that we, we wrote about in the, in the viewpoint as I have put a piece in about that. I mean, we are still looking for a bit of a rebound in activity in Europe, um, which is important. You know, there have been sector effects, the auto sector uh you know which has been discussed on this several times there's obviously been a big drag because of the change in emission standards the way that that's been playing out that does look like things are beginning to firm a little bit more there so domestically um you know there are some signs of growth the retail spending numbers have just come out in eurozone looked a bit firmer so again i mean eurozone consumer there's no reason why eurozone consumers should be cutting back very aggressively the problem for europe i guess has been a mixture of these one-off factors plus the way that Europe has been caught up by the slowdown in China in particular. Mm. So that's affected the export. We'll we'll come on to China in
0: a moment, but it's worth perhaps drawing attention to the work that you did in the Economic and Market Review for uh, February, which you published last week, which made the point that uh, the the pricing of risk assets in Europe, particularly equities, is pricing in a very negative outlook. So it may not require much in the way of of recovery you've just been talking about to encourage
1: um, better returns. That's right, and, and um, as I've published some work there, using the DAX as a, a probability mm. indicator, and that suggests that there's over a 50% probability of a recession uh, in the Eurozone. That's what the DAX is saying at the moment. Right. So it's really pricing in a, a recession.
0: And then on, on China, and one statistic I always follow is the Macau gambling revenues, mm. which were very weak in January. And that would be consistent with what you've been saying about the, the very pronounced weakness in growth in China at the
1: moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And that's still proving to be a very good indicator, that, that, that Macau gambling series. Um, we've, we've got a, a broader indicator, which um, Craig has constructed, our uh, Schroeder's China Activity Indicator. And that, too, actually is very, very weak at the moment. It's been particularly affected by the trade data, because China has cut its imports very aggressively. Um actually more aggressively than almost anywhere else. Um, so it's really cut back there, and that's been coming through. One point we would make, though, is that we are about to go into something of a bit of a data blackout in China because of the Chinese New Year. So it probably won't be till March now until we actually get an update on what the China Activity Indicator is saying. Um, some other indicators that we look at, such as um, you know, air freight and container shipping, they are also saying, though, that trade... Is still very weak and on on the downslide at the moment.
0: Hmm. The the other thing, though, that isn't happening in China's weakness of the currency, it's around about 6.75. Uh, You put out a forecast some time ago that it was going to slip below 7 against the US dollar. So why is the currency not reflecting the weakness you're seeing in the real economy?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that is one of the big differences between today and the last time we saw this kind of slowdown in China and, and, and weaknessing global trade activity, which is 2015-16. I mean, w- one answer to that is that the capital controls are working. Um, you know, I mean, certainly in the past, we, when our activity indicator was weakened, that's usually been a good indicator that foreign exchange reserves are starting to come under a lot of pressure on the currency fall. Well, that hasn't happened this time. I think that partly reflects, you know, what's been going on um, with the capital controls, so that they are working better. But I think the other the, the other factor here is that China is quite wary about allowing a big fall in the RMB at this particular point in the trade talks, because you know the currency has been one of the issues that's been on the agenda between the U.S. and China. Now, I don't expect China to agree to some sort of revaluation uh, of, of the. Certainly, that's something that the US would like, but they certainly don't want to do a devaluation. I think that would really um, set the talks back quite some way. So so there may be uh, a bit of political um, interference going on here, keeping the renminbi pretty firm. But it has been one of the positive things, because 2015-16, if you remember, the concerns about hard landing in China and a big devaluation of the currency were really driving de- deflation fears mm-hmm. at the time. Yes. Yeah. And any
0: clarity on resolution of the trade dispute between China and the US?
1: Well, the the mood music has been been getting better, um, the US put out quite a positive statement um, last week, uh, saying that they thought they were making good progress, and they're on track to to have some sort of deal uh, on March the first, which is which is good news. Um, we think that the way it's playing out is that it's turning from a trade war into what we might call a tech war. And, um, you know, previously, we thought that it would be, you know, if the talks um, didn't make the right amount of progress, then, you know, we would see that tariffs would be increased to 25%, and then Trump would probably go and put tariffs on the rest of the imports that haven't got tariffs on at the moment. We're kind of rowing back from that now. We feel that Trump will be reluctant to to put more tariffs on, mainly because of the effect it would have on inflation, but also because the talks have really focused very much on this whole technology transfer issue and um you know they're focused around intellectual property rights and the protection of that intellectual property and you know what what the us is emphasizing at the moment is they're pleased with that progress they want to be clear that that, that those property rights will be enforced so china is saying it's going to pass a new law on ip the us is saying right that's great but we want to see that enforced. so i imagine that we do get a deal but the us says something but you know we will retain the right to increase tariffs again if we don't see you know, our our IP and technology being enforced. I wouldn't be surprised if also alongside that, the U.S. imposes some export bans from some of its technology companies on what it can actually sell into China. Um, You know, I think it will be reluctant to to allow that technology to go into China because I think that's been the area that they're concerned about. And, you know, it's also something that China is very keen to get its hands on because it wants to be able to move up the value chain And that's part of their growth plan. So I think that, you know, I'm more optimistic now about a deal. And I think the focus is going to be much more on the tech sector rather than across a broad swathe of of Chinese imports.
0: The other paper that you published uh, last week was the 30-year forecast of moving Mm -hmm. from the very short term to the very long term. Yeah. Any particular highlights you'd want to pick out? Yeah.
1: I I would. Um, So it's quite a a, a lengthy document, so I won't really be able to do it justice, and I would urge everyone to look at it, and it's it's one of our our, our regular uh, uh, updates, so um, Craig Botham has done most of the work on this. I mean, it's 30-year returns, but valuations do matter, and the starting points for bond yields and dividend yields do actually have a bearing on on the returns that we get and uh, uh, This year we've actually ended up we revised our um, Expectations for uh, fixed income returns down um, And we re- revised down our our expectations for, for cash returns as well um,
0: so we're really kind
1: of reflecting a, a, a weaker global environment and a lower level of, of interest rates from central banks and that's having an effect on on bond returns um, the other thing, though, is that we do see quite slightly higher uh, equity returns coming through. And that is, is primarily being driven by the starting point with the higher dividend yields. Because the equi- equity returns are very much driven by what we call the golden growth model. So you start with a dividend yield
0: and you add on growth. And those have
1: gone up a little bit. So a little bit more risk premium. And just staying with that point on <laughs> higher equity
0: returns going back to where we started the conversation, mm-hmm. the, the S&P 500 is up 8.7% mm-hmm. since January the 1st. Yeah. Uh, that would be consistent with a long-term return expectation for equity. So I guess the question is, have we seen all we're going to get from risk assets
1: in 2019 already? Well, yes. I mean, uh, if we had complete faith in the 30-year returns, then we could say, well, yes, the US has done it for this year, and that's it. I mean, I I'd, I'd make, it, make a couple of points. I mean, obviously as we know there's been a sort of bit of a catch-up element here but you know that that was sort of factored in other equity markets outside the US have not performed as strongly um, particularly Europe as, as we were touching on earlier but even the emerging markets are not getting up to the kind of returns that we've been expecting so i think that the message from the, from what we've seen so far is that you know the scope for catch-up is probably outside the US more going forward uh, of course as you know i mean the path of of uh, returns is never particularly smooth Um, And clearly, there are going to be some considerable challenges over the next few months, given the weakness of the data that we'll be talking about.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, Keith. We are out of time for this week. Let me just pick out uh, two or three of the points that Keith made. One was that in the short term, we should expect greater strength in the U.S. economy in the second quarter, which may bring tighter monetary policy back into focus at that point. Uh, We're also, we're searching for a turning point in the momentum of earnings growth as a signal for becoming more positive on equities. Uh, The eurozone remains very weak, but our view is that that's priced into equity markets. China also remains very weak, but the authorities there seem to be doing a good job of keeping control of the currency. And Keith also expressed greater optimism on the shape of any of a possible trade deal between China and the U.S., with a particular focus on controlling technology flows. So that's it for this week. Thank you all very much for listening, and thank you very much, Keith, once again. Uh, thank you.
1: This the conference. Thank you all very much for attending. You may now disconnect.